Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. It is Wade and Mike in the studio and we are here to talk Charles V in our ongoing series on Martin Luther, the the thoughts and the, the theology, the life and the history of Martin Luther within the Reformation. We're in the 40s in our um, number of sessions here. Uh, Wade and I are in a a very warm studio because our heat is cranked up, but it is cold outside. Uh, both of us have had rough weeks, and the reason that we have had rough weeks is that because our students um, are not laughing at our jokes. I don't know what is going on here. I had a I good joke in chapel, even a gulag joke. You had a gulag joke? That it was, well, I had a couple good ones, but my favorite one was that this was no Camp Philip. Right. And, and it was like, it was like the crickets at Camp Philip. Yeah. Um, I was disappointed. Yeah. Um, I didn't laugh because it was chapel, and so it was just inappropriate to begin with. <laughs> but I have had some excellent jokes. I got serious after that. Yeah, and, no, it was good. And the gulag did tie in, I think. Oh, absolutely. It was a good sermon. Um, I've had some, not only have I had tried and tested jokes that always get laughs, that fell flat. Yeah. But I got new material that's really good. And I enjoy it. I mean, when some, you tell a joke, I enjoy it usually. There's some, there's some really good stuff. Except when it's at my expense. Yeah, there's some really good stuff out there, and I maybe it's the masks, but I think I'm pretty good at reading, you know, the facial expressions even with the masks. That I just and I, in fact, it's the eyes. You got to watch the eyes. And if they fact, squint said, a little, they're smiling. I, I started complaining to my students about it. I said, "What is the deal?" Yeah. You think you're better than me? I had, I also I realized how old I am. I had, I had some really good material. Um. On uh, Hulk Hogan and the Iron Sheik. Yeah, that's... And how, you know, back when, instead of going to war, we just had wrestling matches. Mm -hmm. And we would get it out of our system that way, like the USA. Mm -hmm. USA. And uh, most of them didn't even know who Hulk Hogan was. Hmm. So, then I, you know, you kind of sing the, I am a true uh, man. They just look at you like you're crazy. I don't know. I don't know. Kids these days. That was, I would say... Perhaps the most patriotic I've ever felt was during some WWF matches <laughs> in my uh, in my youth. Who was the who was the Russian guy? Uh, oh, Nikita, I, I, uh, I am not a. I remember the Bush after the Bushwhackers. I was done. I I didn't really. I didn't pay attention. Yeah, uh, but like Hacksaw Jim Duggan, that's Americana. <laughs> yeah, I don't really. Did you know the guy who uh, George the Animal Steel? I don't. So you him. you lived in Michigan for a while. Yeah. Um, he used to eat the stuffing in the turnbuckle. Taught was a teacher at a uh, um, Divine Child oh, in really? uh, Metro Detroit. I had sure. a cousin who went there. Really? Yeah. And he just did this on the side kind of thing. Yeah. I've been to an amateur um, wrestling match in the backyard of a somewhere in New Ulm. Really? Yeah. We did a lot of backyard wrestling, but we never had like a legit ring. Oh, in fact, if we ever tried to build a ring. It was more dangerous than if there were no. It was ring. a legit ring with like the, like the thing was bouncing and stuff like the I don't know, the tension or whatever. Nice. It was uh, one of uh, Pastor Peel from Utah's work friends. We went out there one day. This is starting to sound familiar to me now. That I... anyway, okay, we got to get going. Um, we're here to talk about uh, Charles V, also known as Charles I of Spain, by the way. And if you've been paying attention, we are 
uh, getting closer to a very important date in the history of Lutheranism, and that is the presentation of the Augsburg Confession, which is going to happen in 1530. If you remember that there has been back and forth between uh, the empire and the German uh, states that are leaning towards the um, evangelical side. And so you had in 1529, you had the Diet of Spire. Um, Mike, I was, he may have taught somewhere else besides Divine Child. All right, you let me know. <coughs> In 1529, you have the Second Diet of Spire, where uh, there is going to be uh, the the Edict of Words is sort of going to be kind of uh, back in play again, let's say. In 1526, the Edict of Words that uh, declared Luther an outlaw and uh, anybody who would harbor him as an outlaw, um, they backed off of that. It was kind of understood that whoever's state, that was his religion. 1529, there's sort of a backing up of uh, off of that, um, and there is a protest, and this is where we get uh, the term Protestant from. And so we thought it's a good time to really kind of take a look at Charles V because he's been sort of in the background in a lot of these stories. His brother Ferdinand has been playing uh, the lead role, and we've been mentioning uh, Charles a few different times, and both of us are, we don't fall into the trap of saying, uh, Catholic, bad, Lutheran, good. Um, theologically, yes, but... Um, when we look at Charles, there's actually some pretty remarkable things about him. And uh, for his time, um, you know, he had a lot on his shoulders. And, and he is a remarkable person, even if we would disagree with some of his political movering, move, maneuvering and some of his personal life, and uh, certainly would disagree with his theology. So, 1500, which is an awesome year to be born, right? You always know what, how old you are, right? You're laughing because you are found something on wrestling? No. What did I tell you I was going to find something Okay, on? that's right. Well, I'll let you have it. Okay, born in 1500. Charles I um, has quite a pedigree, right? So he is, let me get this right, his father's side, uh, Philip of Burgundy. Uh, Philip the Handsome. That's right, which is um, not going to. You, know you know how you get that name? Hmm. One of two ways, I figure. Hmm. You're very handsome. Or you got a lot or, of money. Or it's ironic. <laughs> like tiny yeah. yeah um you know what they call you uh no. they don't call yeah. you anything we should give ourselves reformation names when you Wade, said that uh, it really hurt my self-esteem because i started thinking about all my faults like <laughs> all the places you could like go you like, could go wade the bearded right you could go wade the, or wade the nice bearded the or, like ironic or, like no 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 i i i would go grand more grandiose than no nice. you you would you would do ironic. Don't even pretend you want it. Don't fake your sanctification. All right. Here's what we're going to do is uh, maybe... Wade the pleasure to work with. Yeah, it? there you go. That's maybe, the, maybe, the, maybe our audience. I would oh, prefer not know, to open it up. Why don't we do this, though? We should... Let's at, not. At the end of our Luther courses, like extra credit, you come up with... For both of us. But it's asking people to insult us. We don't have to. That's fine. Wade the or Mike the. Consider these are college students. They're going to insult us. But they're going to be funny. Or they'll really hurt my self-esteem, which yeah. is already fragile. But if they write their name to it, then they'll probably be like fun jabbing. Uh, I'm doing it. I don't care. Anyways. I'm doing it. Philip the Handsome yeah. and Mom. What would it be? Joanna? Joanna? Um, this is, I'm thinking Spanish language. Yeah. Probably Joanna. What was, you know her? So she's the mad. The mad. And, and, and the maybe not actually crazy. There's debates about was she really crazy or did people just say she was crazy to increase their power. Yeah. But so you got 
This is going to be quite the child. You put together a Philip the Handsome and Ioana the Mad, you're going to get an interesting kid. And Austrian on the father's side, technically, you know, like a little bit more to the east. And then has um, more Spanish blood, we should say, Castile, Aragon. You know, Spain, Spain, Italy, and Germany are kind of those we think that they just magically came about. Yeah. They were always there. And but even these still are today, later. Yeah, yeah and, even still today, they, they think of their territory right, before their right. national and, identity. And so same way with Italy, you know. And, and uh, Texans in America. Yeah, that, that's, a good, that's kind of a good example. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, um, so anyways, though. But like, I mean, we're talking Ferdinand and Isabella would have been the grandparents so to put yourself into your, you, everybody knows about Isabella and Ferdinand and, you know, Columbus and all that kind of stuff. So Engage put yourself into that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The, um, but just to hit briefly, part of Maximilian, who would be what his grandfather, mm-hmm. part of his brilliance was that he figured out he could conquer Europe, not primarily through war, but through just marriage. Yep. And so um, now nobility has been marrying for a long time. Still today. Yeah. And, uh, and it's crazy, like the World War One and the connections between yeah, like Russia. It's a bunch it's of cousins crazy. fighting. Yeah. And they used, I mean, often when nobility from different countries would meet, they would address each other as cousin. Mm-hmm. So this was, I'm not going to pick a U.S. state. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, I won't pick the one. What would people probably suspect I would pick? For? For inbreeding. Oh, for either Ohio or Florida. Oh, see, or I thought Arkansas people would think Alabama. Alabama. Or Alabama. But I was going to pick Ohio. Would you pick yeah. Ohio as well? I'd probably pick Ohio. Okay. Yeah, so, um, but, I mean, you would have all these people um, that were bloodlines. The positive of this was maybe you were less reticent to go to war against your cousin. Mm-hmm. The negative of this was you sometimes got a super huge jaw. Mm-hmm. Um, and You may uh, even drool and can't stop it. Yeah, and if you're um, not a fan of oligarchy or... Kind of this, you know, um, related elite ruling everything, mm-hmm. then you're not going to like it. But uh, but Maximilian is really going to push these marriages, and Charles V is kind of the realization of the success of this. As as he comes to age, he's just going to start inheriting kingdoms. Boom, boom, boom. As um, people die through or these marriages, marriages, yeah, or whatever, or go crazy, or right. get accused of going crazy. Right. So. Aragon and Castile, you're talking in Spain. You're talking, um, you know, Austrian Habsburg territories, yep. which rule all the way until like World War I. Um, there's going to be, you're bumping up to Italian states, yep. right? You are going to get... Some French territories that they think should be theirs. Yep. And by the way, his first language was French. So he's got, he's, he's definitely a, a man of the people. And then just to, just to tick off the French probably... Since he's already got, you know, ties to all these other places in Spain, we're going to give him the Netherlands, right? Which is really going to be where he grows up. Yeah. So he's going to grow up in Ghent. Um, His parents have him, and then they're like, uh, we're going to go to Spain to handle stuff there. And now, Mike, for instance, when you got the call to WLC from Wood Lake, uh, you and Amanda were obviously coming, but did you bring anybody else with you? We brought our children. Yeah. They don't do that. They're going to leave mm-hmm. um, Charles V to be raised by relatives. And so he really is um, from the Low Countries. The Low Countries, if you're going to Europe, um, which one day hopefully we'll be able to do again after COVID, and you get a rail pass and you get the Benelux rail pass. That's the Low Countries. 
think today, Belgium. So the French, especially in the south of Belgium, what we would call Wallonia or the Walloons today. Um, but then his other main language will be French and Dutch. Um, think Flanders, um, speaking Flemish, which is largely Dutch. And then what we think of today as the uh, the Netherlands. But he's going to grow up in Ghent, beautiful city. So, so sort of like German, but not enough that he can be fluent in German, where he can maybe right. get the nuance when he is dealing with the German states later, correct? The thing with okay. Dutch, um, and having to learn this firsthand, doing uh, PhD work over there. It sounds like German, but it's not and really. And English. Yeah, yeah. Um, Vell, mm-hmm. or Donkewell. I, I always say it wrong because I want to say it with German accent. Mm-hmm. Um, that in English that sounds like thank you well, right? Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. It also sounds like danke. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my theory is that the Dutch developed their language to be similar enough to English and German to do business, mm-hmm. but also to rip them off. <laughs> um, so sometimes it can be actually harder to learn German from Dutch. Yeah, so um, just about Naples, Milan, Sicily, Sardinia, all these places oh, there was surrounding also, France. There was there was something there was something about the New World. I think something happened there. Mm-hmm. There's probably some money that's going there, and yeah. Uh, oh, just to, just to maybe the cherry on the top. Uh, um, he knows um, uh, Utrecht, Adrian of Utrecht, who then is Pope for just about one year before dying. So, you know, I mean, connected dude. Yeah, and and let's be honest here. I don't think much has changed. Mm-hmm. In our get today. But if you're, to be fair, um, if you're France, and the, bring France the French the- have not been fans of the Habsburgs anyways, um, the map of France as Charles V is getting these territories, like the borders, which before would have been these littler territories, mm-hmm. whatever, like areas that are at least nominally under Charles V, literally you're getting encircled. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to make you nervous. Like maybe if you were, if you were, uh, let's say Germany, and all of a sudden this thing called the Soviet Union started to kind of all of these little states that butt up to you become that, and you're, and then you're not completely surrounded, but it's starting to become a little bit difficult, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, another power that is, or if uh, like Canada and Mexico decided to team yep. up on us. Yep. And then you yep. got a USA sandwich there. Right. Um, there's another power out there, uh, the papacy. Who is like, I kind of think that maybe that's not good for everybody, that one guy and one family has too much control. And so they maybe flirt a little bit more with the king of France there. And then, of course, there is a wild card out there that you have. Um, you have Henry VIII, uh, the, the English monarch as well. Oh, and the Turks there. So you got, you got quite a bit of a mess there. And there is going to be a lot of, let's say, not alliances necessarily always, but there's going to be switching of sides once in a while. But would you say that probably the center of all would be Charles V and the Habsburgs? I mean, I think so, right? Most people are going to be reacting to him rather than the other way around. Would that be safe to say? And keep in mind, too, that this is not, the Holy Roman Empire is not a federal state. So it's not as if with the snap of his fingers... Mm -hmm. Um, Charles V can just make something happen in all of his territories. But it does mean as long as he can kind of keep people happy so that they come along with him, he's drawing troops from Spain, from the Low Countries, and the Low Countries at this point, perhaps the wealthiest place in Europe, um, kind of like this proto-Calvinistic, mm-hmm. you know, or proto, 
capitalistic, um, burgeoning economy, um, German troops, Austria-Hungarian troops. If you're France, you're just kind of drawing French troops, and then maybe the Italians, if they can stop fighting each other, so so the, and join along. So the big thing is if he's going to become Holy Roman. I mean, it's not all. It, and by the way, it's not like he just inherits the. They, they come piecemeal, and even being the whole, the, being crowned the emperor, being elected to be the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire does not mean that necessarily you're crowned. Later you get crowned, right? There's multiple things right. there. So let's talk about that. How does he become Holy Roman Emperor? Because that is an elected position, and it's not guaranteed that he would be... I mean, he's maybe the front runner because his grandfather, Maximilian, was the, was the, was the emperor, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he gets it when Maximilian dies. Right, and so just briefly, I want to apologize if you just heard this. I was going to wipe my nose. Mm-hmm. Right, but I didn't realize it made that much noise on the mic, so I am not going to edit that out. Because <laughs> you said it, it's fine. Because <clears throat> I'm too lazy to, pr- lazy okay. to produce it, so that's why I mentioned it. Interesting about this, he's going to come into most of his um, territories, these lands that he will have at least nominal control over, um, in the span of a few years. And we're talking like 16 to... The 1510s are huge for him, So in the late 1510s especially. So he's a teenager. Right. Born in, what, 1500? 1500. 1500. So... Um, when he's 16. So Vorms, he's 17. No, he'd be 21. Oh, yeah. 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 But still a young man. But by that what time. What were you doing at 21, Mike? Were you deciding just, I, the future I, of the empire? I was going to say, um, when I was. Re- you were uh, watching Backyard Wrestling. Well, right? that's right. 21. Um, I don't want to tell you, but, you know. Uh, I was praying and fasting. It certainly was not um, being in control of anything mm-hmm. ever. So he's going to. Um, He'll, he'll get power, I believe, first in, in what we'll call Spain today. I'm not going to keep mentioning all the territories, what we'll call Spain. Um, then the Low Countries. There's talk of an alliance with England, right? For a while, they want him to marry Henry, who I believe was this, or Ma- Mary, Mary, who was, I believe, the sister of Henry VIII. Um, then finally, the, uh, obviously Austria, but finally the, the big part will be what makes him Charles V. Um, the title he'll have for the rest of his life is his election as Holy Roman Emperor. So he's Charles I of Spain, but if he becomes elector, he's going to be the fifth Charles in that line. Right. They count uh, he Char- starts off as Charles Char- of Char- Ghent. They, do they count that Charlemagne as one in the Holy Roman Empire? That's, yeah, That's I, would, I would think so. Okay, anyway. Um, so he comes to power. Three main concerns he's going to have are, A, Lutheranism, or Protestantism, if we want to speak more mm-hmm. B, France, see Ottoman Empire. He kind of whoops Francis the right Francis the first. I'm getting this right. Francis the first mm-hmm. of France, kind of whoops him. I believe in 1525, and then really whoops him and the Italians, and will have soldiers who kind of go rogue and sack Rome. Mm-hmm. 1527. Am I? Am I getting that right? Um, so that will be yes. 1527. Yep. Yeah, 1527 is <coughs> a sack. And Francis and then, I is who's king, because um, he captures Francis, if I'm not mistaken. He captures Francis, Francis, that's 1526, I believe, and then virtually imprisons the papacy in Rome, is right. how one pe- person puts so it. That is, that's so that's that's kind of a, on the to-do list, that's a big check mark, so, so we've got France. Can we go back just for one second and say, yes. when, he, when, when he is, when Maximilian dies, there's going to be some, who's going to be the next? And so you had talk of maybe 
uh, Henry VIII from England, but that's way too much power. Uh, people would kind of like Frederick of Saxony, but he doesn't have the he doesn't have the military oomph to hold the hold the power, and so um, the Pope does not want. Pope is is thinking this is this is our chance to divide up the power. Right. And and if I were Francis, I would just hate Charles. Keep telling the story, but yeah, Charles just keeps smacking Francis around. Right. Go ahead. And so the Pope is is thinking. You know, if this is divided, that makes my my life a lot easier because I can play people against each other. Same way with France, Francis right. first. Same with Henry VIII or whatever. So there is movement against it, but he becomes the obvious choice. And just so you know, there are seven electors. And Francis, the friends, wanted this. Yeah, seven electors. You have uh, you have the Archbishop of Cologne, Trier, and Mainz, and then you have the sec four secular uh, rulers, which would be Saxony originally a duke but that's split up so we call him the elector of saxony margrave of brandenburg the king of bohemia and the count of the palatinate on the rhine right the platinate yeah Palatinate, excuse me so um francis is a candidate henry the eighth is a candidate frederick the wise is a candidate how does how does charles get it I but the money. libertarians were running someone too weren't <laughs> they uh but they didn't have enough money. Charles has got the money, right? And yeah. he, he, and he puts himself heavily in debt because of it, right? So that I mean that does play a part too because he can't just he can't fund every war and balance the checkbook. Sometimes you have to go in debt for your future, this aka college. This is true. This is true. Um, but how much debt is good debt? Like, do you want That's to control Europe or not? Are we going to sit here? And debate our bank account, or are we going to control Europe? That's what that's what I would have argued if we were right. And it's interesting. If I was your, if you, you can be Charles V. I'm your friend. Yeah. You're like, I don't know. I really, I don't want the credit card debt. And where could you I'd be like? Where could you find some gold? Yeah, I know where. Where? New World. Yeah. So this plays into a lot of a lot. You know, yeah. it's never so easy as you know this. Which, by the way, flooding the market with gold and silver. Um, Causes backfires inflation, which yeah. is backfires not going to go over well, especially with um, in Spain. Yeah, and so part of the reason why we speak English and not Spanish today, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Yep. So a lot getting. This is a kind of an interesting time, don't you think? Yep. Let's go back to Francis, the Pope, and Charles V, and oh, there's this Turkish threat. Yeah. So okay, cross off France, France. And, and the Pope for now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Ottoman threat or, or, or Turkish threat as we think of Turkey today. Um, we're gonna ha- we already talked about Vienna in a previous episode, mm-hmm. um, but largely it's going to get managed during Charles V's life. Knocking on the door though. Right, but that one largely somewhat gets uh, scratched off. What's the one that just won't go away, Mike? That would be the evangelical movement, the Reformation. Yeah, it's just it's um. It won't stay away. So um, it gets halts, put on the back burner sometimes. Right. He can halt the Muslim advance if, at the Siege of Vienna in 1529. <clears throat> he can take care of Francis, 1525 to 27, and the Pope. Luther's still around in 46, and nothing is, mm-hmm. nothing is settled. And Charles V, even though he'll basically imprison the, pa- the papacy, Sees himself as the defender of Catholicism. Mm-hmm. This is, and by all accounts, a pretty legit 
He abdicates and retires to a monastery. Never cheats on his wife during their marriage. But we're going to circle back to that one. Um, and he uh, he gets his chance. Let's skip ahead. Doesn't get his ch- He can't resolve it at Vorms. 21. Can't resolve it at Spire through Ferdinand. Um, 26 or 29. And he those are his ages, too, because he was born right. in 1500, so he's a young man. Right. Can't resolve it at Augsburg, 1530. Luther dies. Schmalkaldic League is, defended, is defeated, seems to have his chance with the Augsburg interim. Some cities like Magdeburg hold out. Moritz, who had turned on the Schmalkaldic League, eventually turns on the emperor. Charles V's troops get pulled out, and we're going to have to have the Peace of Augsburg eventually. Um, so he probably, one of the things that maybe wore him out the most as he will retire and abdicate, was that he could never, mm-hmm. this was the one thing he could never resolve. Um, and to be fair, I'm going to throw it back to you, Mike, because you've mentioned this, and I agree with you, and one that he probably wanted to resolve, not because he was power hungry, um, but because he was devout. Yeah, he was. I think he's legit devout, and he's probably frustrated. You can just imagine him, like, being a devout defender of the faith does not mean that you are uh, pro-pope, necessarily, back then or even today. Right, you understand. Despite if you want to hear people complain about the Pope, that's right. you can talk to some very devout Roman Catholics. That's right. Um, this idea that it, the Pope says whatever, and everybody goes, "Oh my God, that, that's just not accurate." Right. So, you know, I, I'm wondering if at times he's like, "I need to protect the Church from the Pope." But, yeah. Well, he wants a council, and the he Pope wants won't a do council, it. and Pope won't do it. Um, eventually, now. Let, let's be honest here. Was that council really going to be, of course, you know, an open debate or whatever? Probably not. But at least he is making an effort. Hagenau, Verms, is that and Regensburg finally? I yeah. mean, there are attempts at yep. at a conciliar movement, but it doesn't. It never. It never gets. It gets forward. So it's not like he's been lazy on this. But at times he's got to be. Well, I have to be in Italy, or I have to be over here. And he can't give full he, attention to... I mean, he had to have spent a quarter to a third to a half of his life on the road yep. in various phases of his life. And some of it just because I got to be crowned. I what was the capital this. city of the Holy Roman Empire? It's a trick question, Mike. That's a good question. There wasn't one. So he is it's moving a moving, around. It's a moving... He's got these these, these Reichstag meetings um, with the Germans. He's got to worry about back in Spain. He's got to worry about the low countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is traveling, and he can he he can't really trust anybody either. I mean, the the Pope is certainly not in his generally, and there's different popes. Generally, the papacy doesn't seem to be is always going to be worried about uh, Charles V having too much power. We already know that he's not going to like France, and France even at one point tries to play nice with the Turks. Yep. I mean, which is kind of and there's no way anybody's trusting Henry VIII, right? Right. So. In some ways, the, maybe the Germans are, you know, they may be the easiest to work with sometimes, yeah. right? At least they're going to be somewhat, because they're broken up, there's going to be at least some He has some revolts, transparency. revolts in Spain that take place where people are unhappy with. Spain feels like it's funding the other parts of the empire. Uh, nothing's changed here. It, means, it seems to me that the Germans get a little worried about paying for Greece and stuff like that, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Can we? Go ahead. Very important thing. So I mentioned 
the Charles V, mm-hmm. faithful to his wife um, throughout their marriage. Um, they're they're married. Uh, he marries late, I think, fifteen twenty six, and so he's gonna marry Isabella. <clears throat> maybe he called her Izzy. Maybe he called her Bella. Maybe he called her Lisa. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're gonna fall in love. This is great after marriage. They fall in love. <clears throat> she dies. He wears black pretty much the rest of his life, like Johnny Cash. Um, and never remarries, which was very out of the norm for such a ruler. It appears, though, he was perhaps unfaithful in his bachelorhood. By unfaithful, I mean not not, unfaithful to his wife, but... um, Well, in a way. So does Wilde. In a way. Yeah, in a way. Which would not have been unusual for the time or most any times. Right. Especially for powerful men. Yeah. It appears... Do we have this... Do we have this authenticated? Yeah. How many sources do you have? Um, now, Are you going like Washington Post? Okay. Historian Regina Penilla Perez de Tudela and her doctoral so, so, work. So a Spa- Spaniard probably sounds like who's yeah. got access to. Has. Um, uh, yes, this was this. She's from Valencia. So okay. from Spain. Mm-hmm. And her doctoral work <clears throat> uncovered letters that seem to indicate that one of his affairs uh, Charles V was with a woman who in um, other letters is described, um, the Venetian ambassador says of her, um, as a French woman who is very fat and will not bear children. Okay. So she's a looker. Okay. Okay. Um, it appears he had f- an affair with his uh, step-grandmother. So... Um... Germaine de Foix, F-O-I-X. Now, we should be surprised and horrified, but knowing the royalty of Europe and the Habsburgs. Now, you may say, but you were just talking about him being devout. Yes. Right. Right. This is not unusual for somebody to be very devout, but still have... Mistresses. Some very, and for some very uh, uh, dark secrets. There's popes who have mistresses at this yes. time. Yes. Um. But I do find that that interesting. Yes. And in the end of his life, however, he he abdicates, gives to his brother Ferdinand. Oh, so you just want to move on from no. my thing? <laughs> I just kinda I kinda feel like I wanna I wanna I wanna I wanna give him some, some props. I there. feel like to be fair, you should have asked me how much older was she. Okay, what were the age differences? It appears uh, she's born in fourteen eighty eight. So only twelve years. Twelve years. So she who did she marry? Um, she was actually uh, married to Ferdinand of Aragon. So on the mother's side. That would make sense, yeah. So after after Ferdinand, after Isabella I, I, died? I, am not, I have not been able to figure out if the affair happened while Ferdinand was still alive. Um, no, but Ferdinand... Wait, it must have been because he is going to die in 1516. So... Right around in there. So for, we're talking Ferdinand and Ferdinand and Isabella. Um, Ferdinand of Aragon. His predecessor. Let me see. I'm Ferdinand of Aragon. His spouse was Isabella of Castile. Right. Ferdinand okay. of like Ferdinand and Isabel. Like, yeah. So that could be. Yeah. Like kind of famous. Yeah. Like United Spain. So when are they? So she must marry. Yeah. 
So Isabel of Castile dies 1504. Oh, okay. He marries Germain, if you're saying, I don't know how to say it right, in 1506. And then he dies in 1516. And then at some point... And at some point... Charles V and, and her dis- Charles v and discover her. that they have common interests. Okay. Maybe, um, like, there's new albums come out. It's pretty um, cool. They like listening to it together. Um, Don Quixote, maybe they're reading right. Don Quixote or something. And I'll stop, like but... But I think it's an interesting fact. It's worth sharing. It, now we 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 don't have it. We have we have two sources, and one of them's Wikipedia. <laughs> so we have one and a half source. This is not this is not Washington Post, New York Times standards. Although recently, hello New York Times, uh, we're 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 uh, we'll work on it. No. We'll see if we can find some more sources. <laughs> All right. Anyway, um, I think Charles V is an interesting yep. guy. End of his life. Let's get real quick. End of his life. So you have a guy who is thrust into power as a teenager, has to manage some very impossible things. His reign is crazy long. Is able to hold power, is able to check France, England, some you know rebellions in Sp- Spain. Ottomans dealing with the, the new uh, world. The Turks. He cannot, but here's the deal. He cannot... There's a lesson there. You cannot, cannot control the heart, can you? No. And this is something that we've, we've talked about before, that there's always Catholic reformations going on. Isabella was big on Catholic reformation, but it was always by the law. It was always by making a law, trying to enforce a law, and, and it just never works. And to become more institutional than that. And what, and, and what Luther understood about the reformation of the church that nobody else previously, save maybe, maybe John Huss and maybe Wycliffe. What they, big time anyway, uh, big time reformers, famous ones, what he understood that this was a theological reformation that needed to be had, not a moral one, Mm -hmm. right? Not a moral one, but a theological one. And Charles V probably is still in the long line of he would like to see reform, but it's going to be a moral one. It's going to be within the church and it is going to, and he's going to have to do it by force and laws and just can't control those the gospel that way. Yeah. It just can't do it. So he uh, he's going to be flustered. He suffers from terrible gout. It gets so bad that he um, eventually can barely walk around. Uh, a lot of the rulers of the day, almost all of their diet was red meat. Um, interesting fact, Mike. Hmm. In India, the higher castes tend to be more vegetarian. In Europe at this time, the richer you were, the more you ate meat. Hmm. So that the peasant, right, is more vegetarian because you just don't have as much meat. So he's going to have terrible gout, can barely walk around. Um, he has managed, as you said, to hold this together for a very long time. Remarkably so. But like Diocletian, if I'm remembering Diocletian correctly, in the Roman Empire, he begins to think this thing is too big for one person to govern. So he's gonna, you're going to have Philip II, who's going to take over in Spain. Ferdinand's going to kind of focus on the Austria stuff. It's still Habsburg. Mm-hmm. Um, must be a little more divided up. And he is going to then abdicate. He's going to retire, um, live in a monastery for roughly the last year of his life, have to be carried around on a cart, um, and have ramps because he has such a hard time getting around. But uh, read religious literature. Um, be concerned with uh, the, uh, what is it, the Ars Moris, the art of dying, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and if, if we judge a man by the end of... Uh, his life uh, clings to the Roman Catholicism of uh, his his entire lifetime. Yeah. 
1558. I mean, he doesn't become a monk, but sort of what you're describing is he, last couple of years, lived as a, as a monastic. Yeah, to his credit, they get to Wittenberg um, when, uh, you know, he is able to, before Maurice chases with him his, out. With his army, yep. Does not dig up Luther. He says he wages war against the, uh, living? the living and not the dead. dead. Um, that's always kind of made me think he was a decent guy because yeah. a lot of times you'd really mess with the bodies of... He could have. Right. When they killed Zwingli, they were standing him up, telling him to, you know, stand if he's not a heretic, and then he rolled down the hill. And um, and to be fair, the Lutherans weren't exactly always stand up in these kinds of situations. There's a saying that gets attributed to a number of people, but some say it came from Charles V, who, as Mike mentioned, knew French and Dutch well. Um, and then learned uh, some Spanish, some German, some Basque. And uh, that supposedly he said, I speak Spanish and Latin, depending on the source here, to God. I speak Italian to women, French to men, and German to my horse. So uh, <laughs> maybe not a... But this has been associated with all sorts of people. I've heard it associated with uh, um, even King Henry in England, sure. um, Frederick the Great, others... Uh, but um, but yeah, a uh, a guy I have a hard time hating on, right. even though he tried to end the Reformation that I am a son of. Right, right. So I think I hope that uh, our listeners <coughs> feel like that was a pretty decent, uh, uh, fun overview. Uh, maybe some details you didn't know about Charles V. Certainly, there was one detail you didn't know about Charles. Right. V. There was no bigamy. But I tried to at least get one salacious detail. So next time, I don't know where we're going to go next time. Probably the Diet of Augsburg, unless you want to do, um, unless you want to do John the Steadfast or John Frederick the Magnanimous. I mean, we got to do it at some point. Bro. Yeah. So we'll either be back with the Diet of Augsburg or the last of the three electors uh, of Saxony that were were around in Luther's day. We almost oh, really want to wait a little bit for him. Maybe. We could. Yeah, because there's some stuff going on that his end probably is more interesting. What I'm saying is we may, it may be back to just PG. There's probably not going to be yeah. any kind of. Although I really stuff. would like to do a segment where we like the salacious detail of the day. Yeah. And then maybe we could get a little music like do, 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 do. And then I get to share a salacious detail. Okay. We'll try, try to find. And when that music comes on, that means earmuffs for the kids. Sure. Cover your ears, kids. Gotcha. Because if I am going for salacious, mm-hmm. I'm going for salacious. Yeah. Well, we thank you for listening, and we hope that you will come back. We're about at time. Um, we hope that you're having fun. We are certainly having fun going through the life and thought in Martin Luther with all these little um, sessions here. We hope that you will come back. Like us on Facebook or subscribe, whatever. Subscribe. Review on, us on iTunes. Yeah, iTunes. Check out 1517.com or .org Org. or whatever it is. Um, and uh, no matter what, let the bird fly.